0: syria fans everywhere from our nation's capital this is cool america welcome curve americans and podcast paisani for a podcast special Our guest today is known to many as the 2009 top rising star Mazel Bugdov, an alleged European soccer star from Moldova who, through a series of blog posts and eventual articles, rose to 30 on the London Times list and would surely be signed by enormous world club Arsenal. Unfortunately for Arsenal and the world, none of it was true. Bugdov was created by Mr. Declan Varley, a journalist and editor at the Galway Advertiser, and also an avid gooner himself. This is an amazing story for any transfer window. I'm thoroughly excited about this interview. I recommend to all of our listeners reading about this article further. We welcome to the pod Mr. Declan Varley. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for joining us across the pond in beautiful Galway, my favorite Irish city. Indeed, just right across the city. There, There you go. Uh, I'll be honest, I I first came across your story from the July 2017 New York Times Rory Smith article, the original fake news, a term we are all too familiar with here in the United States. I, like you, have grown frustrated with the transfer market rumor mill and the the rabbit holes that we're allowed to jump down because of it. I'm curious right off the bat, tell us why you created Mazel Bug the pride of Moldova's youth national system.
1: Well, I suppose like any football fan, uh, the... So for for underperforming clubs, the highlight of the year is the uh, the is the the twice yearly uh, transfer window um, yeah. opportunity to have your club linked with the best players in the world. And I think an average club is linked with uh, you know over a hundred players in any given given window, and it's good and it's very interesting because every day you wake up and you see your team is linked with some player you want to sign, Lewandowski or or Messi or whoever it's going to be, but. Uh, Unfortunately, an awful lot of it is untrue. I suppose this—I I invented Marcel Dove a decade ago, before the term "fake news" was uh, I had the currency it does have now. Yeah. So, like any other football fan, I was just frustrated every um, year at seeing how, you know, a lot of the links with, with various players from my club would just turn out to be nothing but um, built on based on sand. So I came up with the idea of: imagine if I created a footballer, and just. Didn't sort of put him in, into any mainstream publication, but just let him exist online and see how far it would get. Would it ever get mentioned in a newspaper or would it ever get mentioned online? So I decided to come up with um, um, a footballer called Masal Bugdov. Now, the name is a phonetic rendering of an Irish short story called Maasal Bugdove, which is My Little Black Donkey. It's a short, famous Irish short story. About a man who brings his donkey to the market to sell. Now the donkey is a useless donkey. He tries to get a greater fee from for for him than he would than he deserved. So in one sense, you can see correlation between that and and the international football transfer market. So Dove was created, and I decided to uh, because I believe that what you want to believe is is uh, based on, on on the number of receptors in your brain which actually please you. I felt that the ideal footballer would be, you know, a 16- or 17-year-old wonder kid. He'd be strongly built so he'd be able to play in Serie A or the Premiership. He wouldn't be a weakling who would, who would fade away after a few months and who would have a powerful shot and who would have a, a good shimmy. And all these things actually uh, built together to create Marcel Bogdov. So Marcel Bogdov, then I decided to make him Moldovan. So I went onto the Moldovan uh, FA um, Football Association Wikipedia page. And I just added him to the squad. He was a 16-year-old. I just added his name in there so that if anybody Googled Masa Bogdov, at least there would be some linkage back to Moldova and some uh, some you know potential hint that he did actually exist. I, I didn't want to put the uh, Masa Bogdov story into any newspaper as I can because I'm a journalist and an editor. That would be kind of cheating and using my position. I decided just to have him exist online. So I created a series of uh, small posts written in the style of you know, PA or AP and uh, um, just sort of exp- espousing the virtues of this new muscle bug of how he had caught the eye of all the top clubs in Europe. I gave him an agent as well. Now, I based my agent on... If you remember the agent that Borat had in the movie Borat, uh, he was based <laughs> on that. He was—he was kind of his name was uh, I think it was Sergei Yelikov, and he would be—he'd um, be an an overweight, s- sweating man with a, a comb over and uh, an ill-fitting suit, and he'd be going across, around Europe trying to sell Mosselbug Dove. So the stories went in that Mosselbug Dove was linked with Arsenal and various clubs, and it sort of just got a little bit of um, um, uh, interaction online and week by week it kind of built up and built up. And so muscle would be mentioned here and there in different things. Even at one interview then, uh, or one press conference for Manchester City, I think Mark Hughes was the manager of Manchester City at the time, and he was asked, you know, at the time, he was probably asked about, are you buying this club player, that player? And he was asked, would you be interested in Marcel Bogdov? And he said that, you know, Manchester City would not rule anything in or rule anything out, which is <laughs> which is pretty good because Marcel didn't exist. Uh, um, uh, and then another time, when, um, and Marcel would react to this, the, the various posts would be, put online to various chat rooms, various clubs. And Massa would react to, mentions of his name here and there. There was one instance where Harry Redknapp just made an off-the-cuff remark about Tottenham weren't going to buy uh, unknown players from Moldova or um, Dvorovia or anywhere. He just made an, an off-the-cuff remark. So then the following day, like Massa Bogdov had, um, you know, um, a response to this and there's an AP report saying that Muscle Bugdov lashed out at High rednap for denigrating the quality of footballers from Moldova and of course it just got <laughs> it, it got currency and in a lot of people's minds players this Muscle Bugdov existed and in the same way as in as we are now in the middle of the transfer window you'll find that your club is linked with players who you've never heard of, but I mean, the more you hear of them, the more you believe that these players are going to be the saviors for your club. So, um, Master exists existed in, in in that in that realm, and everything was going along fine. He was getting maybe a thousand or two thousand mentions on Google. You Google his name at the time, <laughs> and then in January two thousand and nine, the the um, the um, London Times, who are the oldest paper in the world to cover football, they were one of the first papers in the world to cover football back in uh, you know one hundred and fifty years ago. And they uh, compiled their eagerly awaited top 50 young players of the year in the world. And in at number 31 was Masel Bugdov. <laughs> now, Mossel Bugdov um, had also been on the FIFA site at one stage as well, because uh, FIFA had a piece on Moldovan football saying that the only bright light on the horizon for this strife the strife-torn nation was the emergence of young Masel Bugdov, a 16-year-old player who was the, the world was watching. Now, I had actually... It been, I had gradually been promoting Marcel Bogdov as a player through the through the career through his career. That summer, uh, he became he was called into the Moldovan football um, uh, international squad, and in the game in which he was alleged to have played. He he, was, he set up the goal. He he had a, a shimmy and a powerful shot from about 35 yards, which the goalkeeper parried out and then a real striker for for, for uh, Moldova to scored the goal. So if anybody looked up the report of the match, they would see that this, Moldova won the game 1-0 and that the scorer was the scorer who scored. They wouldn't actually necessarily see or not see that Moldova was the man who set it up. So Moldova became very real in a lot of people's minds. Because he was at number 31 in the world, that, was, that, went, that went around the world then. But then a Russian football writer who covered Moldova said, well, hang on, this guy doesn't exist. I, I've never heard of this guy. And then Brian Phillips uh, uh, in America actually did a very good sort of trail back of everything and found that, you know, dog did not exist. He just didn't exist. At which time then the Sunday Times or the, the London Times, uh, changed their list. They took Dove out and replaced him with another player called Jay Simpson, who was a player at Arsenal at the time. Who hasn't gone on? whose career really hasn't got any better than Mazzelbogdov's, to be honest. <laughs> and, and in one but, 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 but uh, when was in at number thirty-one on that list uh, um, in two thousand nine, he was ahead of Mesudozil and he was also ahead of Robert Lewandowski. So he was a valuable player. He, he, Dove was even better than these two players that we now know household names. So, um, so muscle, when they when these the times changed their list, then um, that went that went around the world as well. That that changed it because they had syndicated the the list originally, and now they were syndicating a new list. Everybody knew that the mistake had been made, and Marcel Dove had one hundred and six million hits on Google uh, that week, <laughs> uh, and he became and ever since then Marcel Dove has become the. Uh, the poster boy for for transfer window speculation. He's up there. He's, he's named in the top one or two hoaxes of football hoaxes or sporting hoaxes of all time because he became so real for 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 for, for so many people. And I, I suppose the reason I started it in one sense because. Is that football was perhaps the, the the first fake news environment in one sense, and we all fell for it. We all went along with it. And now fake news is part of our everyday vocabulary, and and even real news now is called fake news, and fake news is called real news. So fake news—it's hard to know what's fake and what's real anymore, in one sense. But back in that in, in those days, sport um, was the original fake news environment because you know you you every year we were being fed every transfer window, we were being fed speculation about uh, different players and different clubs. and it just turned out to be nothing. But we like you never really resent it because it's just part of the game. You, pay, you buy your newspaper every day, or you go online every day, and you you see the links that your player has with or your club have with different players. And you, you like you don't get upset when it doesn't happen then because you just assume that the deal fell through. But probably the deal was never on the cards at all. Now, I, in one sense, Marcin was was the the, um, the father of fake news. He preceded uh, Donald Trump by by a decade, so uh, that's how he has maintained his his role in in football in football history
0: you know yeah so yeah i've read uh you know articles here case studies and stuff on Mazelbug dove of whether it's a hoax or uh, a social experiment i think is how you like to describe it very Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff were you surprised (laughs) at how big the story has gotten and and i guess also following that i mean the story in real time is one thing but now it's being analyzed thereafter are you surprised at how big this has gotten (laughs)
1: Um, I was originally yes because I mean, because I didn't expect him to be in the top thirty, uh, the top fifty, of the world of players. You know, right. I just expected. I, I just wanted him to merely exist. I didn't want I didn't necessarily expect him to be in the elite of those who existed. Uh, mm. But um, yes, it, it's amazing because it has sort of opened the debate then really about the role of truth in digital journalism. I'm I'm a journalist for maybe thirty years, and when I started off in, in journalism covering news and covering sport, there were staples of. Of, um, of sourcing for you, when you, if you if you got a story and you're covering your local, working for your local paper originally, you would actually um, contact the local police station or the local hospital matron or the local priest or the local post office owner to to verify if something happened in an area. But all those kind of sources have gone now, and journalists sort of just tend to Google, you know. And as we know, Mister Google is not always right because Mister Google is made up of stuff that we all put into it, you know, right. in monsters. So I think that it's an interesting debate on. On sourcing and that, and maybe a message for for young journalists that that um, you know looking like google is not the most always always the most um the most accurate or the most reliable li- most reliable source and now it hasn't gotten it, it has it has actually got worse really in the decades since uh, muscle was squares because because fake news has become an industry you know it it suits a certain agenda to be fair have fake news and so when we're now um, sort of fully versed with it but it's uh, it's been a fascinating debate. there is um, I think there are some universities in the States that have taken the Muslim book story and and uh, included it as a part of their, their journalism studies, because uh, to measure the veracity of a story, the measure the level of truth in a story and to measure how you can create a truth, you know, if you if I want you to believe something. There are certain factors that I would put into the story to, you know, to to believe it's, it's a bit like how we how we consume news now in this kind of Trump era. We you know if you are a liberal or a not liberal or non liberal, you will you would believe the stuff that kind of more graduates towards your own your own way right. of thinking and uh, things like Facebook and social media and the algorithms are working against us in that regard, and they say, well, it's, you know, Declan likes this kind of stuff, so we'll give him more of this kind of stuff. And the more that kind of stuff I read, the more I believe, you know, and vice versa for an opposing side. So um, it's it's, a, it's an interesting look at how we consume news and how we consume things that it's, that you can make people believe something if you make – like I created Maslow Book Dove in the shape of – you know, a 16-year-old, strong, uh, strongly built player—the kind of player you want to get into your club. He was yeah. based really at the time on Wayne Rooney because Rooney was built like a tank,
0: I saw and it. he
1: powerful shots. And you yeah. know, everybody wanted to get a 16-year-old, a 16-year-old Wayne Rooney. Now that a 34-year-old Wayne Rooney, you, you want to get rid of him. But but back in the day, you wanted to have that kind of player in your club. Everyone wanted to find a star like that, and yeah. that's why Marcel Dove you know—is still the. He's the poster boy for uh, for Wonder Kids everywhere, you know.
0: Yeah. What? Uh, what? Then you mentioned the public uh, kind of moves on from these things because, of, well, the deal just fell through. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm curious. Yeah. You, you said you were careful not to put any real articles because you're a journalist by trade. Um, yeah. The reaction from the journalistic community who. You know, you guys do have to chase down these leads, and I imagine you're just like the fans in that sense of when you find out there's nothing there, that's frustrating. What was the reaction from them after after you did this social experiment?
1: Well, I suppose in one sense, um, um, you would like to think that it, it created uh, um, a desire to be more careful about where you actually source your stories. I it's hard to know if people have just people have just moved on and they would go to where they get the information quicker. I suppose originally um, it was a it's it's a fascinating story for other journalists because they like the idea of it. It's it's a prank that and a sort a of struggle hoax, stroke, social experiment that actually went worldwide. And in that regard, it's it's a, an interesting story. But I would still say that every journalist who laughs at it and who was scared by the possibility of it actually, would still, uh, tomorrow morning, if they were sourcing top 50 players, they would Google and you go on YouTube and all this. Now, it must be remembered that uh, Muscle Dove, when he became got into the top 30 in the world, he didn't have any original YouTube clips. of. There were no clips of him in action at all, and there was no photograph of him. So, uh, nowadays, when we're linked with a player, if Arsenal linked with a player, the first thing I'll do is go to YouTube and download you know, his best bits. You know, mm-hmm. now, uh, In that, even Muscle Dove must have been very convincing verbally because he didn't have it there was no visual image of him it just was it created the image in people's minds i just use the words that he's built like a tank built like right like, like rooney so it's just all about uh, story using storytelling yeah, <laughs> story really yeah. and and using certain receptors you appeal to the receptors of people's brains to actually believe things if you tell them what they want to believe then you know um uh, it becomes more believable and it becomes more accepted you know
0: so so that was another question I had because Mazel was created in 2008, and that's uh, roughly two years after Twitter starts and the whole social media concept yeah. really takes off. I mean, really, it's just part of our everyday lives now. So it could happen again because, like you say, we're, the algorithms are geared toward showing us stories of what we want, no matter the source. But also playing with that it's easier to unravel these stories, too, with social media. So, I mean, Mazel obviously uh, did get unraveled. It took some time to do it. Do you think with social media nowadays it's maybe coming full circle in that a rumor gets started, but it's easier to snuff it out sooner because Indeed. everything is so connected? Yeah. I think so. I think because
1: everything has become so much more immediate now that, that you can you can verify very quickly if somebody has... It has a visual history or, you know, or has a, has an actual history at all in the case of Mosselbug dove, uh, like muscle was dove was, be, was based, he, he started off really on, on chat, chat rooms. He wasn't on Twitter at all, but the funny thing is immediately, as soon as Mosselbug dove was, was unveiled, I think uh, there were a hundred different muscle Bug doves appeared as handles on Twitter. Okay. So when I, when I eventually said came out with the story a few years ago, but, um, uh, that I, I was the creator of Muscle Bug Dove because at the time it just felt there was a lot of speculation that this was this was a big hoax put together by a big team of people and it was very cleverly done and so on and so on they didn't realize just one guy <laughs> doing it in, in Ireland so when I was talking to Brian Phillips so Brian who who did the, the, a lot of uh, the, the journalism uncovering Muscle Bug Dove I had to convince him that I was the creator of Muscle Bug Dove that I wasn't just a fake Creator of Muscle Bug Dove. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he had to sort of uh, – I had to sort of uh, prove my veracity, but actually um, uh, going into the the sites that I had posted on originally and putting up a test quote just to prove that I was the original Muscle Bug Dove. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it could it, – it's hard to know if it could happen again because, because um, uh, people are very uh, – uh, are able now to actually verify, you know, um, uh, a lot a lot more quickly but having said that there's always um th- there's always a desire there's always a part of someone's brain that wants to believe something and if you play to that you will get a certain amount of um you get a certain amount of uh, of uh coverage but i don't know whether i would get a muscle bug dove into the top top 30 players in the world anymore yeah. i just don't think it would happen you know but i mean <laughs> you never know now my muscle dove is 10 years old next year and uh, um I'm writing a book on it next year. But it was has his own. There is an official Mossel uh, um, official official Book Dove Twitter account. So Mossell does he does still exist and he comments on things. Like Mossel now is is now overweight. He's about he's twenty six, his career is is over. He <laughs> Masl considers Masl considered suing all the media that actually um, is, said he didn't exist because non existence is a major impediment to your career, you know? Yeah. So my well oh, he's uh, Mossel Bugdov. is living in Moldova now. He's commenting on football. He's married to the uh, the lady who finished third in the twenty twelve Miss Moldova contest, and he is uh, he is just full of regret. And he is uh, slovenly, and he's fat, and he's turning into his agent, and he's bitter. And uh, on his on the official Mossel Bugdov official uh, Bugdov's uh, Twitter handle, he actually does comment on current transfers and you know, has a has a dig at them because it could have been me, you know, it could have been I could have been a contender, you know. Right. But he still lives on. And it's it's great. It's amazing because every day um I get messages about Mosselbug Dove. Every day Mossel dove is mentioned in some correspondence somewhere in the world to do it with football. And he has become a byword for uh for um transfer windows. The last day dove is always mentioned because people just feel that um if their club isn't buying anyone, they're
0: not even buying Maazel about Dove, you know. Yeah, but it's it's I, good. It's a bit fun. It's a bit of fun. You know? That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I I have thoroughly enjoyed the story. I I saw he commented on uh, the fact that, he, that you were coming on to our podcast, so uh, we thank that Maazel's paying attention to that.
1: But, oh, Masel, If if, if, if Marcel is mentioned anywhere in the world, Mossel
0: will be onto it, and he'll know. I yeah, he'll be happy or not happy, you know. Yeah, but
1: I'm he go to management at some stage, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, curious. Uh, you you uh, are an Arsenal fan. You're a gooner yourself. Um, he was uh, uh, linked to Arsenal as the main club in the in the English Premier League. Um, did Arsenal ever react to it uh, themselves? Because you know you're a fan. Were they, were they upset with this, or or just it wasn't even on their radar until?
1: No, I don't think. So. I think actually, I think I think the the scouting network at Arsenal and the, and and Mr. Wenger himself uh, were well aware that if there was a 16 year old wonder kid in Moldova, he'd, he'd have had him signed at that stage. Because it was <laughs> that era when when uh, when um, um, Arsenal was uh, traveling around Europe and, and snapping up all these young players and giving them big contracts. So. Uh, um, so the last side would have been snapped up. I think Arsenal were were well aware they didn't exist, but there, there were a few of the clubs that just kind of didn't want to say that they didn't know, so they kind of just went along with saying, you know, uh, we'll see what happens, or we may or may not, you know. But and uh, uh, no, I think Arsenal were too clever for that.
0: You know? <laughs> okay, good to hear. Good to hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you never but, know, and with Alexis Sanchez on the move and and uh, a lot of a lot happening at Arsenal, you never know. Maybe they might go back in for him again. You know. Yeah,
0: that's a yeah. uh, that's a great dovetail into uh, uh, my last uh, question here, uh, Declan. So, yes, this is going to continue. This has been ten years with Mossel and it seemingly hasn't changed much. Is there a way to improve the way the transfer market works? Perhaps how other sports are covering their transfers. I I have to think for an example, right? We certainly have speculation here in our other American sports with the NFL, NBA, baseball, but it's nowhere near the level of conjecture as European soccer. So how can that be changed, and is there even a desire for that or just sports nuts we kind of enjoy every two months a year? We uh kind of have our tabloid like season the the type of stuff you see at the supermarket as you check out uh that's just people enjoy this stuff for two months of the year
1: yeah i, I it's hard to know really if, if if there is a desire to change it now there is a desire to actually change the dates off of it in one sense so that as what happens in the Premier League where the premier League is has started maybe two or three weeks before the window closes, so you know that's kind of um That's very confusing. You have situations where Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain played for Arsenal against Liverpool on the Sunday and then joined Liverpool on the Monday. You would get rid of things like that if, if, if you actually had it had it finished, that that the window would close before any league started. Maybe that might be something that they would look at. I don't know if they'll ever get away from it, from the window, because the window has been um, a godsend for the media in one sense, because you know the papers sell a lot because your speculation. There's so much speculation. Sky, uh, Sky Sports make a big deal off their deadline day coverage, you know, and uh, I don't know if there's a desire to go back to the way it was. When I started following football first, where a player could be bought at any time of the year or not, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think there's a desire for that. But it it needs to be, uh, the dates need to be changed, maybe perhaps a little bit, made made a bit more tight, so
0: that uh, it doesn't run out of control again. But I don't think it's going to change much, to be honest. Does it? Does it compare with like you guys have other sports? Obviously, in Europe, is is there anything comparable to European soccer transfer market conjecture? There isn't really in Ireland. We have we
1: have the original Irish Irish sports, where, which are all amateur sports. say the, the big game of Gaelic football and the games of of, of hurling, which are is the fastest, field sports in the world. Um, we, you don't have that. You in in those in those competitions, you play for the county or you know the little state where the where you come from. Uh, and you you can't transfer unless you are working somewhere else and you get a job somewhere else and or you, and you you transfer, but it's very complicated. There isn't any transfer window or a transfer um, uh, facility really in the Irish Games. Uh, not to the same extent as you would have in in soccer now soccer is the biggest one um, uh, across europe that, that that does this No other sport really uh, um, has it you know in rugby as well there are kind of uh, a lot of contracts are held say for the Irish provincial rugby uh, teams. the Irish national rugby board hold the contracts so uh, so it 's a different situation uh it 's like a draft uh, it 's not the same as, as as the as the transfer window in, in soccer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why it's fascinating because it is it is unique and and everybody everybody's interested because you know what's interesting to me as an Arsenal fan in Ireland is the same as interesting to Juventus fan in Turin you know it's 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 a it's a commonality and it's a and it's great in one sense because it it has um um it's it's a very European thing even though it is a worldwide thing but it's a very European thing uh, if Brexit if if the UK um, leaves the EU. We don't know what implications they will be there for, for that, you know, because different rules will pertain to the footballers uh, because they are employees and it, they will be in a country then that will no longer be in the EU. They may not have the protection of the EU laws that have made this easier. So it will be interesting in a couple of years time to see what happens with the um, uh, with the transfer window and if Brexit happens and if the, U, if the UK leaves the European Union, that it may have an implication on, on, on the rights of players as, as employees. But we'll see what
0: happens. All right. That might open the door for uh, Eastern European teams uh, in, in countries like Moldova to maybe jump into bigger yeah. clubs. <laughs> you never know. Maybe, maybe
1: Masal Bugdov would just come, maybe come straight back in as a manager or something, you know? Ironically, one of the strikers on the um, on, on the Moldovan team is Igor Bugiev, which is only like a few letters away from Bugdov. But so <laughs> so I suppose the fact that he existed gave Masal Bugdov uh, a bit more credibility as well. And when people would see that Igor Bugiev had scored goals, they often mistook it for Bugdov, you know? So <laughs>
0: a lot of things fell Masal's way. I don't know whether it would happen again. All right. Well... We would be very eager to see him in the Syria, anywhere in the Syria, for for us at uh, Curve America. Declan, thank you so much for telling the story of uh, Mosel Bug Dove. Best of luck with the book next year. Uh, this really has been fascinating uh, for anyone who follows the transfer market. Uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Very welcome.